Hey, welcome to Stuff with Steve, and today I have a guest with me, and it's my friend Matt Lowen. Matt is a sergeant with the Eugene Police Department and a friend of mine, and we're going to talk about policing and police issues, so we're going to cover some really hot topics today. But before we do that, hey, Matt, just tell us about who you are yeah, in a my nutshell. Name's, my name is Matt. Uh, I am a sergeant with the Eugene Police Department. I'm in the patrol divisions, and I'm one of two SWAT sergeants. And I've been in patrol and SWAT um, in one form or fashion for the most part of 17 years. Uh, that's how long I've been in EPD. Okay, and before you were a police officer, you were in the military. Tell us, would you mind telling us yeah. a little bit about that? Okay. No, I don't mind at all. I was an Army officer in the 101st Airborne Division. I was a sapper platoon leader and a company executive officer, and I... Uh, deployed to Afghanistan in 01 and 02, and then I was in Iraq in, in 2003 and 2004. So the the basically the invasions, uh, so to speak, of both countries, I, I participated fully in. Okay, so the so your rank, you finished at captain, right? I was a captain. Captain 101st Airborne. So did you jump out of, have you jumped out and parachuted? That's not, yeah. Airborne means like uh, yeah. parachute, right? Right, right. Uh, the 101st Airborne Division, not to get too specific here, it's, it's a historically airborne division, right? Now it's currently an air assault or air mobile division. We used helicopters. Now, I've been um, to the airborne school and I was assigned to another unit very briefly in, in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Um, so I've made a few parachute jumps. Okay, and you've yeah. repelled out of a helicopter? In training only, yeah. Okay. It's, one of the, it's one of the things you do and then never do again. Uh, but yes, yeah, I have repelled from a uh, CH-47, a Chinook, and from a uh, UH-60 Blackhawk. Was that fun? It was very fun. Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, I still remember it pretty vividly. That was like 20-something years ago, so. Okay, great. Yeah. So you've been a police officer for 17 years, and so I was just going to ask you some questions like, um, what is it? It's a broad question, but uh, what are the unique challenges that face a patrol officer in Eugene? And can you tell us what patrol means to? Yeah. Um, patrol division is what everybody thinks of when they think of the police. It's the uniformed division of the department. So we're the guys driving marked cars, wearing uh, navy blue uniforms, wearing badges, and looking like police officers. Okay. Uh, unique challenges of being a police officer in Eugene. Um, I'll caveat this with it's it's my strictly my opinions and my observations, and I don't ever intend to speak for anyone else. Um, but I know that having done this long enough, I think a lot of people would share the same opinions. Um, Eugene is a challenging place to police uh, because of a variety of factors. We um, we pride ourselves, Eugenians pr pride themselves on being a historically um, liberal community, um, which I don't intend to put any good or bad connotation on. It's just a, a more liberal um, community. And it, if you, you can't look at Eugene um, and find a lot of similar models outside of maybe the West Coast, um, for how the how the community lives and breathes, we are a uh, community that has a lot of emphasis on diversity and um, you know richness in, of of culture and people, uh, but is also largely uh, 
homogenous and that we're, we're a predominantly white community. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes that might come off as kind of a community personality disorder maybe, but um, we, we, <laughs> uh, we want to honor that. Um, sometimes it's, it's, it's hard, it's hard to understand. Um, we also have a, a community that's, that's, has some people who are, who are very vocal about um, their dislike or uh, distrust of the police. There's been reasons for them to hold that. Um, some of them are local. Some of them are, are uh, national uh, perspectives of police that they've just incorporated into their thinking about police here. Um, and finally, we are a, a very short-staffed uh, department. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at one of, one of the metrics that's used to measure is, is people uh, or, you know, community members per thousand to how many number of police officers. And I, I can't give you the exact citation and it might be different now slightly, but um, I don't think it's changed altogether much, but Oregon is, is extremely low, if not the lowest in the nation. And Eugene is one of the um, lower uh, so, so percentage communities in the, in the state as well. The per capita police officers, for the city of Eugene and cities our size, I read was the lowest in the country. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised by that. Figure. Okay, I, I've heard that and I believe it to be true. Although I haven't been to every city our size sure. and sampled it, but uh, anecdotally and, and experientially, I would that that sounds true. Okay, so Oregon legalized uh, marijuana a few years ago, and then it seems like to me that uh, if you have certain amounts of heroin, you're not going to be arrested. So there. Am I correct in that? Yeah, Certain, you are. Okay, and that any sort of drug, any sort of drugs. It seems like we're not, unless you're carrying pounds of drugs, you're not. Nothing's going to happen. Yeah. So, uh, between drugs and alcohol, how many of the calls that you go to are drug or alcohol based? That nine one one gets that you have to be just. Dis- dis- it would seem, um, in my non-scientific, just kind of thumbnailing this, uh, from the start of the year when this was passed uh, to now, and now we've had a, this is early April, and we've had a, a, a break in the rain, and we've had like a two-week period of sunny, nice weather. Mm-hmm. Not hot, but certainly not raining. Um, I would say nearly, nearly every call that we go to has some sort of nexus in drug and alcohol and certainly the ones we've been dealing with um, the in progress crimes what does that mean in progress crimes where we're getting dispatched to there's a man in the middle of the street waving a sword or there is a fight between two people going on right now there are crimes that are happening people are seeing them they're calling us and we are completely reactionary to it um those those calls, as I just kind of survey my my week uh, past, it seems like nearly every every one of them involves somebody who was extremely high, um, and I also understand that our overdoses, drug overdose deaths for the year. I don't I can't give you a, an exact number, but from the year over last, but. 
I do know that to this to this point, at least as to two days ago, April sixth, there were something like thirty overdose deaths, and that is an extremely high number for the first quarter of the year. Okay, first third. Okay, and it's my understanding that, and I just went through some suicide prevention training that Lane County has the highest suicide rate for teenagers of any place in Oregon. I, I didn't know that, but I'm, I'm sad that to hear that. Okay. So I was talking to a police officer about a year ago mm-hmm. who had been on the force in a different city for 15 years. He told me that in his 15-year career that he had seen 300 dead bodies wow. between just deaths, traffic, suicide, mm-hmm. other things. Um, so I got to thinking about that means... And I don't know if that's average for a police officer. You don't count that, I know, but it just seems like that's also part of your, uh, part of your. Uh, that just happens in your world. Yeah, death is a part of my world. Um, yeah. Death that's caused by crime, death that's self-imposed, and death that's uh, recklessly self-imposed, like drug overdoses. People kind of walk a very fine wire. Uh, heroin addicts, in particular. Um, and some of the harder drug users, they, that's, a, that's a very conscious risk. They know that they're taking when they do those drugs that they somehow write off to the reward of being high. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Eugene um, has this, as well as well, many cities, uh, that most of the crime that, if it wasn't for drugs and alcohol, Gosh, I'd, I'd, I'd retire. <laughs> You'd retire, okay. Yeah. That that seems to be a fuel to the fire. I mean, yeah. maybe that didn't solve everything. So when it comes to homelessness in Eugene, I'm sure you get a lot of opinions about that. But also, I just want everybody to know who's listening that you are also on the on the board of the of the mission, and you are a volunteer at the Eugene Mission. Yeah. You help feed people. Yeah. You're very concerned about homelessness. Yeah, my whole family. Yeah, your whole family. I know you and your kids, you go down there and you serve in the food line and other things that you do at the Eugene Mission, you're very committed to that. So from your just your perspective in your various roles that you have in our community, uh, what are some of your thoughts about homelessness and, man, can you fix this by next week? Yeah, I <laughs> wish I could say that. Um, <laughs> I think there, you know, the, it's an overused adage, but I think it's, it, According to me, I think it's a, it's appropriate that you know the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I think there are a lot of extremely well-intentioned people and organizations that see the hurt that people suffering homelessness experience, and I see it too. I think the difference is and say maybe my approach versus the approach of some others uh, would be how does God factor into that? How does uh, Christianity become part of the solution? Um, I'm sure most of our listeners are probably are, are Christians themselves or at least are, are, are familiar with Christianity. Um, and I think it has a huge role in healing, um, and and absent that, I I think it's 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 a lot of well-intended people that that can't quite um, finish the, the the job of of bringing them from 
homelessness and, and out of addiction into sobriety or maybe some mental health stability. But what's on the what's on the back end? What what new life do I release them to? Um, the life change model at the mission is a huge and, and glowing example of, of what that is and can, and can be for some people. That's terrific. I am. Um... I'm going to tell a brief story. Sure. So just so everybody knows that I'm a volunteer chaplain at the police department, So, I've done, and therefore I've done ride-alongs with police officers. So I did one with uh, Sergeant Lowen, which he'll, he won't remember this. And the first case was domestic violence, 7 a.m. in the morning, that I went to with you. Several other officers were there. Then in the midst of that, there was a crisis in North Eugene, and we had to go a long ways in a short amount of time because a man, I don't think he had a sword, a man was in the middle of Highway 99, and he was, you know, he was endangering himself, and there's some mental things going on with this person. Oh, you do? Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I remember that you handcuffed him, got him off the side of the road because he was huge. This guy was huge. And it was very dangerous for him to be in the middle of the highway that could be hit or other people could be hurt. And then as you talked to him, you found out he was a veteran and you're a veteran and you're the veteran liaison for the police department. And so you didn't want him to go to jail. You wanted him to get the right kind of help back in this halfway house. So in the midst of talking to his halfway house counselor, you noticed that you'd arrested him for drug use before. And then you uh, just talked to him gently and said, tell me what's happened in your life. And the guy had gotten cleaned off drugs and gotten his degree and was now a counselor. And I'll never forget this, that you gave him a big hug and told him how proud you were of yeah, him. Yeah, of, I, of him. I remember that interaction too. Yeah, and I think that's a great illustration of, of a police officer showing compassion and also at this, on the person who was arrested and also giving somebody else a high five saying, wow, I'm so thrilled that you've, changed your life around. So when you have moments like that, how does that make you feel when you see people have made progress in their lives? It's, it's the reward that every new officer talks about when they first get the job that they haven't yet experienced. If you talk to any number of, of people who join the police department and ask them, why did you join the police department? Why are you a police officer? Nearly every answer is going to be well because I want to help people. I mean that that and, and I believe that even, even as vague as that answer is, I, I believe it. That's that's where that's a place people come from. Um, but until you experience it, um, it's just a concept. It's just a, it's just an idea. But uh, that's that's why I joined the police department, and it's just something I share with my new officers. That. You will, you'll take plenty of people to jail. You'll be involved in plenty of physical confrontations with people. And sometimes, oftentimes, and all the time, it, it should be from a place where that needs to happen. We don't physically use force against people that don't need it. Um, but there's another side to that where you also have the opportunity to show people who are kicked in the face by society on a regular, almost daily basis, unparalleled kindness you will have the opportunity to talk to somebody who is not used to the other side of the tracks people outside of the game they refer mm -hmm. to it 
talking to them on a human level. And it's something that I try to do um, as often as I can. And it's something that I encourage officers to do. And it's something that I notice uh, good officers do. do. Um, I, re I remember that uh, experience. And I, ha mm -hmm. I have a lot of others that I can point to. Um, sure. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems like to me it's a tough time to be a police officer because nationally there is a perception among some that all police officers are bad. They do bad things. Uh, and it would seem like to me that there's a lot of stress that goes with that. If that's the perception and finger pointing that you get, that you might get personally and or the department here in our community. So how does one navigate that and get through that kind of intense scrutiny and negativity? Yeah. Well, me personally, I know and I feel that God is continually preparing me for something. I don't know what it is, but I have that trust and, and faith and belief that, that he is. And part of it, I think, is to weather this storm. And I, I agree that there is a having a police becoming the metaphor for race in the in our nation and and. Uh, you know, assuming motives of white police officers uh, and black suspect encounters um, has really gotten to be the, the in vogue thing, and it's and it's there's a whole gambit of reasons why that is. I mm -hmm. and I could speak to those, but um, I feel like God's preparing me to be. I I. This may sound silly, but when I get up in the morning and I go to work, I'm ready to be an ambassador. I'm ready to hmm. represent a, a God and a department that stands on the right side of truth. Um, sometimes that involves using force against somebody to effect an arrest. Sometimes that involves giving a meal to somebody um, because God having this belief that he's preparing me for things he, he, he puts me in situations where sometimes I can help mm -hmm. and I want to take full advantage of those opportunities and I and I try to and that helps me avoid some of the larger narrative that's going on I, I think there's a big part of it nationally that has no intention of furthering the conversation it's it's really Design. polarizing and it's polarizing yeah. and it's really designed to just keep it here and on the forefront because it's mm -hmm. a, it's an energizing force i mean police brutality and oppression and all the, these these terms and concepts they, they they can really motivate people to action so um and they can motivate police officers to action too uh, to, or to feel opposed or to at least circle wagons and, and it's polarizing and it's and it's motivating and mm -hmm. and i but i don't think it certainly doesn't move the conversation forward okay. at all. So in our community, we have this organization called CAHOOTS, which mm -hmm. has gotten national attention yeah. as as a, a way that could maybe benefit some communities where certain 911 calls, instead of being handled by a sworn officer, could be handled by a trained, I want to say mental health or social worker kind of person that yeah. could 
you know, de-escalate situations or get people where they need to be. And I, I can share some stories about that because I've seen it firsthand riding along with officers. But can you talk a little bit about Cahoots? Yeah, they're a huge partner in our efforts to police and serve Eugene. They, they like you said, they're, they're non-law enforcement, but they operate in our system of triaging calls and, 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 and responding to people. They are EMT, they have an EMT, and they have a crisis worker aboard their uh, vans 24-7. When I first started, we had them from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. They had one shift, mm-hmm. and it was pretty much all days, I think, but since then, we've expanded it to 24-hour service coverage. And Springfield, I think, even has a van or a unit that works uh, at Springfield. Or they did. Um, they do a huge part of our response because people's first instinct is something's going on. I see something that is not normal or looks unsafe or dangerous or weird they will call the police. And we've seen, although not all of the national narrative circulates around this, but we've seen an officer response to mental illness Mm -hmm. is a different one than a cahoots response to mental illness. Um, That's not to say one of those is right or, or wrong. It's just an officer has a different set of circumstances informing him or her why they're there um, and a, usually a different result. Um, having the ability to listen to the radio and hear a call um, and say that, no, I'll, I'll, I'm going to wave off the patrol units, let's send cahoots, um, is a form of de-escalation um, and it could lessen the likelihood that somebody who is in need of mental health counseling is is going to end up going to jail because contrary to a lot of people's belief that's really our only tool other than conversation we don't have uh, a tool bag full of resources or other services and not to mention there's a large queue of other people waiting for police services where they need an investigation or they need an arrest. And it would be nice to take the time to deal with that person in their crisis. Again, going back, we're a very understaffed department, so there's not a lot of time to do that sort of thing. Cahoots fills that gap and does have the time and energy and the resources um, and education and, and training to deal with somebody who is in crisis. That's not to say we won't end up there because sometimes they're a danger to self or others. And that's a, um, an articulable place that, you know, there, or we can articulate what that looks like or what that acts like. And then that is going to require a, a police officer there. But um, I've kind of digressed. Cahoots does a fantastic job for us. And, I, and I, I, I'm glad that throughout the nation people are taking some, a look at it. It's certainly not perfect. And it's certainly not flawless, but it is a much better model than what most police agencies are, are, are running under, where 
cops are still going to a lot of the calls that come in from the community. Hey, that's great. Matt, I know as we're talking, and I don't know when this podcast will be aired, that the Derek Chauvin trial is Mm -hmm. undergoing. So what I'd like to do is maybe have you come back when that's all over, Mm -hmm. which I think will be in a few weeks, probably that trial will be over. And then we could talk about uh, a little bit more about those issues. I even, you mentioned other things as we were talking that I want to dive into. Like when I hop into a police car, in the front seat mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and I see the screen is full of calls to go to. And when that officer is done at night, there's still a screen of calls to go to. Yeah. It's never ending stressful stuff. And I just want to talk a little bit. So people have an awareness of what the unique stresses that you and your family, uh, a police officer's family mm-hmm. would be under. And I want to talk about that too. So all those things. So sure. we'll do that maybe in a few weeks and you can bring me another cup of coffee. You got it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. I'm so thankful that, that uh, somebody who's uh, doing police work would come and talk to us about that. And thank you, thankful for your service in the military for the for us, and grateful for that, and grateful that you uh, serve with such uh, distinction and integrity at the Eugene Police Department. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Sarge. Hey, that's it for Steve. And grace and peace uh, be with you today.